yourself become Welcome to the One Up Culture Cast, your source of knowledge for leveling up in the world of popular culture. My name is Trent, and with me is my co-pilot Jareth. Hey guys, and welcome back to our review of the Firefly series. Uh, today we'll be going over the last four episodes in the season release, and next week we'll be going over the movie and our final thoughts. So today, the four episodes we're covering are Trash, Message, Heart of Gold, and Objects in Space. 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 <laughs> okay, so episode 11, which is trash, uh, just giving you a quick reminder of what actually happens. Uh, Saffron returns to Plague Serenity with a scheme to steal a rare antique weapon from a wealthy landowner. Unfortunately for Mal, she neglects to mention just how she came across the information needed to break into the landowner's home. Drama ensues. As it always does. As it always uh, does. So we start this one off with uh, a nice wide shot and we see Mal sitting on a rock and he is naked. And uh, Fangirls rejoice. Oh, and a couple of fanguys. Yeah, not us. No, if it was Cali Bay, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And he turns around and just says, hmm, that went well. And uh, we have a bit of a flashback to con- kind of the beginnings of what happened there. We've got them all down on a planet, the, the crew that is, and there's unloading of boxes and things. And we see uh, kind of a figure come out. He's long hair, moustache, and he's an old friend of Mal's. And we find out his name is Monty, and that's kind of who Mouse come to see. You're underselling just how glorious this moustache actually is. Yeah, like, right. you can't just say, oh, you've got a moustache. It is glorious. All right, all right. We're going to get this one from the intro, and we're going to put it in here. All right. Monty's moustache was glorious. No, I won't our, our hands may have been extended. Yeah, like all, all, of, all of our hands, all of them, yes. Yes, all, all five of the hands. And uh, so Monty's kind of excited to introduce Mal to his new wife. He kind of had this little thing where Mal's like, oh, you've fallen from the bachelor ranks. So Monty introduces his wife and she comes out and her name's Bridget. Uh, we, however, know her up to this point in the series as Saffron uh, from Our Mrs. Reynolds, the woman who married Malcolm Reynolds. This kind of leads me into a question because straight after that, it goes into the music for Firefly. But we've got another Mrs. Reynolds story. And you've told me, told all of us that... Uh, uh, your favourite episode is Our Mrs. Reynolds. And I was just wondering, what is it about that episode that you've rate over this one? It's a good question. I think what I prefer about Our Mrs. Reynolds compared to Trash is you get a bit more of the team dynamic in that one. I mean, this is very much, uh, this episode is also a very team-heavy dynamic. But just sort of seeing the reactions of everyone surrounding this sort of announcement that suddenly Malcolm Reynolds is married and seeing how they all react, how they're kind of mocking him a little bit, having some fun at his expense, and just one by one how they all sort of change their minds. And just the dynamic between Saffron are basically playing them all, the fools. I think that works so well as kind of like this romantic comedy episode. Whereas this one, it's still a fantastic episode, but we've already had that dynamic established. There's already that measure of sort of mistrust. And although one of the hallmarks of this episode is also that dynamic of trying to see who's playing who, who's going to win in that battle, I think our Mrs. Reynolds is just a little bit more self-contained. It just works a little bit better in of itself compared to this episode. It does. It definitely does. Uh, and so I kind of got our uh, dynamic 
now we've got the reintroduction of Saffron. I think, what are we going to call her through this episode? Well, uh, she's, she's got three names. Yeah, uh, the, the common sort of band nickname, and it is also mentioned, I think, in the, the show, Yosafbridge, kind of covering all three names together, which is, it, it's kind of funny. Um, I kind of refer to her a bit like that when I'm not just calling her Saffron, because that's how we're introduced to her as. Any of the names we use, like, we're going to know what, who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there's, so, there's no one else, yeah. Yeah, it's just what we're feeling, you know, we could call her Christina. We, we could, we yeah. could. Yeah. So, I mean, the basic setup of this one is that Monty is kind of standing there with these two pointing guns, little Mexican standoff, like, oh, you guys have met before. And uh, Saffron's kind of got a, a bit of a job, I guess, is, uh, is the best way to put it. And uh, we kind of get a bit of a return to our heist movies mm. uh, with the planning. Obviously, nobody trusts Saffron. Yeah. Um, goes without saying she's kind of betrayed them all no one more so than Inara I think Inara really really gets up in arms at this little well her and Mal have a and I'm putting this in quotation marks for all of you to understand what I'm doing have a fight before sort of everything sort of goes down uh, which turns out to be perhaps a little bit planned spoiler alert I know we didn't mention that yet but spoilers yeah it turns out that they're all kind of in cahoots together but it is interesting you're watching it for the first time you're seeing the argument and stuff I, I personally watching it for the first time I was buying into that I didn't quite see the, oh, definitely the threat from the extent of their plan yeah. of all this no no, I know I agree and um, it's at this heist kind of meeting that we get the name of this episode so they're trying to figure out how to get this gun out of Lasseter's estate and it is an estate this guy is rich he has uh, all of the security that you could ever imagine which is makes this quite a big job um and kaylee kind of comes up to throw it in the trash yeah. and that's where we get this name uh, all of the bins are then taken off to a disposal area uh, and they're just going to reprogram one of those so that it drops it off in the middle of the desert well i, I kind of like again yeah because this is another heist story similar to ariel you get a little bit of that sort of montaging you know building up to it Look, I'm a big fan of heist stories in general, so I love seeing these traps played out in any environment, especially a space western with such a fantastic ensemble cast. There's not really that much more to say about what's going on. Like the, the, the main meat of this story comes during the heist. And we start this little heist, and uh, we've got Mal and Saffron kind of, kind of sneaking into this estate, uh, which is where we get our kind of first twist, mm. uh, because we're, we're breaking into an estate where Saffron lives. Yeah. Uh, and, and not as Saffron. Uh, at this estate, her name was Yolanda. 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 Yeah. Uh, and she's kind of the, the lady of the house. Uh, she's the partner too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of married to uh, Duran. Um, not Duran Duran, just Duran. Um, and sort of, she goes missing a while back uh, along with someone else who, you know, he's kind of a little bit suspicious about, but... Yeah, when he sees her, he's just so happy to see her. You kind of get this feeling it's all would be forgiven and as long as she's okay and she's been found. And, you know, she's spinning a bit of a story about how she got, you know, attacked and sort of had to try and make her way back. And Mal is kind of playing the role of the hero, bringing her back to this house. And um, it, it's fun. Uh, it's sort of fun to sort of see Mal trying to work out just what's going on, piecing everything together. Well, yeah, the interesting thing is that uh, she's kind of playing the, oh, I got kidnapped and, you know, I, I, I never wanted to leave you. Uh, and during this time, Mal kind of gets a bit suspicious that this is true mm. and that she really does have feelings and that you know, maybe uh, he, he makes a, a statement later on that, uh, have we found your real husband? Yeah. Uh, you know, the man that she, she truly is in love with, um, which is kind of a running thing through this episode. Is she or isn't she really in love with this man? Mm. 
Which, it's, you know, full credit to Christina Hendricks for playing Yosef Bridge this way because it is very believable. You're watching it and you know she's deceptive and, you know, a little bit evil in that aspect. I bet she like chock men. But you're just trying to piece it all together and you're kind of like, well, okay, it, you know she's wrong, but maybe it's not as bad as you were thinking. Maybe there's that little bit inside of her that is good. I can still save her. Yeah, and uh, she plays that really well and yeah, it also helps that Nathan Fillion plays Mal in a way that he's kind of, you know, fighting with that kind of, do I buy in, do I not? Do I yeah. be chivalrous and risk, you know, making a fool out of myself? Again. Which he does. We already saw this in the beginning of the whole episode. We know Mal's going to end up naked on a rock somewhere saying, that went well. Yeah. And Christina's nowhere near, which would be perhaps the only reason you would be saying that in other circumstances. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that. Why is this always going to a dirty place with you and not me? I'm usually the dirty-minded one of the pair. Yeah, because you're trying to censor yourself. I'm yeah. not that worried. Well, yeah, you're never worried about censoring. So. No, no, because if, if you yeah, don't censor, it could get worse. Oh, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Moving um, on. Yeah, you know, while this is all going on, we also have Wash piloting Serenity directly underneath the skip that they're trying to work out. And you've got Jane and Kaylee trying to, you know, reprogram it in time so they can get sort of taken through. And during this, uh, you know, Wash is trying to keep it steady, keep it steady. And Jane ends up knocking himself out. Classic Jane, you know, trying to do everything himself and kind of suffers a bit. And this is where sort of the other subplot's coming from. Yeah, you know, what when he wakes up, he, you know, we've had a little bit to do with uh, Simon and River during this with. Uh, these three sort of building from their story in air and it sort of comes to a head here because Jane wakes up and he can't feel his legs and you know Simon's kind of playing it up a bit oh you can't feel your legs and, and what it turns out is he's just sort of drugged him so he doesn't wrench his back and his spine while he's sort of coming to he's okay except for a little bit of you know concussion a little bit sore but while Jane can't move Simon kind of drops the bombshell that he knows what Jane tried to do on Ariel, which is, you know, sell him off to the Alliance. He, he just says, you know, you're going to be on my table a few more times. And, and we really get the feeling that Simon's kind of had enough. Uh, this is this is it. He just kind of turns it around and says, you know, that I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to fix anyone on my table. Uh, we're all crew. And we kind of get kind of a nice moment between those two mm. where it, it, it's the Band-Aid moment that kind of fixes their rocky relationship. Yeah, it buries the hatchet for the duration of the this, this series and season. I feel like it would have been dug back up at one stage if they had more seasons to work with. Thank you, Fox. All things considered, it's nice to get that little bit of a payoff. If they hadn't have come back and addressed that, there would have been quite a glaring gap in the story. But then in the course of a one-season story, it works well. Plus, we also get the brilliant line from uh, River saying that I can kill you with my brain. Yeah. And again, the way she says it's brilliant, she's just kind of peeking out from the side of the medical ward door and stuff and... Suitably kind of fun and incredibly intimidating and scary Very, at the yeah. same time. Very intimidating. Uh, and so, for the most part, the heist goes well. We have a little bit of a bump in the road when uh, Lassiter realises that she's kind of playing him. And when we have a scene where he's standing there and he's talking to her and, and it kind of comes to the end where we realise he doesn't trust her, even though we thought that he did. And uh, he says, oh, I called the police like a while ago. Mm. They're going to be here. And, and then the police arrive and they've got to try and escape. And while this is going on, Kaylee's hanging off of ship. She's trying to reprogram the yeah. thing. And we, and we see kind of hero Kaylee Bay. She stays there and, and she gets the job done. So that that's just a little moment. We see her with some, some powerful, some strength. And uh, we don't see her kind of being courageous that often. So that was a nice little moment. Yeah, she, 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 I mean, she does a lot of heroic stuff through the series. But this is kind of the most physical she gets. Because like, when they were stuck on Niska's base... 
She doesn't really shoot anyone. It's up to River. Yeah. Um, yeah, she doesn't get physically involved in this. I mean, she's putting her body on the line because as we see, like, she nearly gets crushed by the oncoming skip to replace the one they're trying yeah. to reprogram. So Yeah, the, the skip, they finally deliver the skip and uh, we see Mal and uh, Mrs. Hendricks <laughs> have, uh, have escaped the uh, the compound. It's probably the estate, best way to put it. And, uh, yeah, we, we get a bit of a... What we've all been kind of worried was going to happen. She betrays, she betrays them. Yeah. Uh, and draws him in with her sob story and while she, he's kind of comforting her next to her she skillfully manages to pull the gun out of his holster which I've, I've watched this a couple of times I was watching very closely to see at what point if she if you does. can see it yeah. yeah and you can actually see it and done really well because yeah. you buy that Mal wouldn't have seen this or wouldn't have noticed it just in the way she does it there's no sort of clumsy kind of bumping in the body or anything it's just a very smooth quick pull yeah. so congratulations to them on getting that right because yeah, yeah I buy it yeah, I didn't notice it the first couple of times I watched Either it. Neither did I. I. I had to go back and watch it again, so uh, full credit to them for that. Yeah. And that's where Mao then gets dumped in the middle of the desert with no clothes. Uh, and she's going to claim the prize. She gets there, she's working through the trash trying to find it, but it's not there. And then we see Inara holding the pistol to Lassiter uh, outside, kind of mocking her because the plan all along. Kind of a backup to show that they were in conflict, but in actuality she was there to ensure. Yeah, their plan B was Inara sitting yeah. there. And uh, yeah, she got to the, the gun first, got it out. And uh, as a result, we've got Saffron, Bridget, Yolanda, who cares? She gets trapped in the this bin, uh, kind of automatically closes, and uh, that's the last we see of her. Mm. We kind of get uh, the, the note that the police will be there to pick her up soon. Really brings us to the end of the episode. Yeah. 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 Episode 12, The Message. A former independent soldier who had served with Mal and Zoe returns in a dramatic manner, with a vicious alliance officer chasing after him for some unusual smuggled goods. Drama and cheers. We start off with everyone at the post office on this one. Yeah, this is sort of the post office episode, which brings one of the greatest moments in the Firefly series, Jane's hat. Yeah, it's very iconic, which is kind of interesting when you realise that we're at episode 12 here, mm. uh, where we've only got two episodes left, not including this one. We've only got 14 episodes in the first season, and the only season, thank you, Fox. Thank you, Fox. Thank you, Fox. For some reason, every time... Well, not for some reason. It is a very iconic great hat. It's yeah. orange with kind of flaps down over his ears on either side. It it's looks kind of so a, ridiculous, and but he pulls it off. Yeah, well, you're not going to say you look ridiculous, Jane. Well, one of them does. Womack, who ends up being the main antagonist here, and we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, shock horror, but Womack kind of bags him out for it. He does, yeah, true. It's from his mother, so uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it gets a nice little care package that Jane, that is, at the post office. And we get quite a large package come for Zoe and Mal. Why would something be coming for Zoe and Mal, and not like Zoe and Wash, or just Mal? Or, and it is about the size of a coffin, I would say. Yeah, which um, is kind of ironic, given what's inside. It's... Coffin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not really that ironic Dead at all. body. Yeah, uh, the dead body of a former comrade in arms mm. uh, during the war. Uh, that is to say the Brancoats, the independents yeah. whom Zoe and Mal fought for. Uh, and we get a flashback of this uh, young man whose name is Tracy. Tracy is a girl's name. So is Jane. But yeah, well, we didn't get to mention that in the previous episode, so I had to sort of do a quick call. Yeah, back. fair enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. we get a flashback to, we see kind of little private Tracy and he's he trying to eat some baked beans and he's kind of shaking and, and very beaten up and and he looks like he's about 18 like I think I think that's really the the feeling we, they were trying to get across there he's very young yeah he, he's not doing too great and we, we see Zoe come in and we see Mal come in and they're very strict and stern which uh, plays in a little bit later on as that's 
Tracy's perception of those two. Uh, he hasn't seen them in quite a long time. He hasn't seen this kind of family that the two of them have, have brought together. Because um, he's dead. Because he's dead, yes. Yeah. I, I really like what this episode does in kind of building up the, I guess, more of the backstory between Mal and Zoe in the war. Because, I mean, the fact that this series opens with the Battle of Serenity and we're seeing him in a wartime situation, it, we don't see a whole lot of the war overall. We hear a couple of stories about it, but this episode really gives us one of our best looks into what they are going through, what kind of experience it was, and how it kind of builds that camaraderie that you do... Uh, neither of us have been in a war, thankfully. Um, but you do hear that kind of camaraderie between people who are forced to put their lives on the line every day, basically. Yeah, I mean, really, we only have three points the war is kind of mentioned uh, and, and is shown. Uh, the very first scene of this whole se- uh, series is uh, on episode Serenity, mm. uh, not the movie. Uh, we see them fighting together, and then we have war stories, which is quite centralised around those two yeah. during their wartime. Um, we don't get a lot of flashbacks to that time. It's more of a parallel connection. Yeah, yeah. And, and we it's get the stories, uh, and mainly the story with the apples. Um, we get the, kind mm. of that connection. But really, Zoe and Mal are the only two we haven't seen the connection between the two. I mean, we've seen everyone else, including River and Simon. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, they're brother and sister. You don't really have to explain why they're so close. Yeah. But they have. Uh, and so I kind of like that they included this, uh, kind of a, an explanation of how those two and why those two are so close uh, and all the things that have stuck together for quite a while. And it does a great job of setting up, I guess, the, one of the main central conflicts in this story, which is between Tracy and then uh, Mal and Zoe. So you, as you kind of mentioned, we see why Tracy might come to these two because of the perception they have. And it sort of comes back and bites him in the butt a little bit. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves because we're talking about an alive Tracy when the last time we were talking about him, he dared. So that kind of begs the question, why why are they getting his body? Uh, yeah. And the reason is it kind of comes with a note from Tracy, a recorded, a quite heartfelt message mm. of, you know, I'm sorry, I'm dead, and basically... Please take my body back to my family. Yeah, so they get him back on the ship. They're going to do it. And everyone's kind of like, well, why? And Because he's you know, one of ours and we don't leave someone behind. And uh, they kind of made a bit of a promise to him that, that you know they, they'd keep him safe, which is kind of why he's gone to them yeah. uh, at this at this time of need. You may be asking, well, why is he need? He's dead. What does he need now? Uh, he's not dead. Let's, no, let's just no. get straight to that. Uh, yeah. He's not dead. In actual fact, his organs are uh, quite superhuman. Mm. They're, they're doing very, very well. Uh, the reason being that he uh, is transporting them. We, we see uh, the doctor, Simon, starts to cut uh, into our Tracy, private Tracy. Uh, not, tra- not Tracy's privates, but uh, I, got one. I got one in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he wakes up. Yeah. And he's kind of like, so he was cutting on me, you know, like, well, what? Are, how is he supposed to react? Because he flips out. Mm. Understandable. Uh, and then we've kind of got the explanation of why he's alive uh, and you know what he's doing. He's trying to smuggle body parts, and yeah. the only way that they can move them because they're grown in a lab is in a person. Uh, and so yeah, that's what he was doing. Yeah, uh, he, he you know he was doing it for money, but he got a better offer, so he's kind of blown off his original contract, and he's gone to sort of sell them off at a better price. Um, so he's transporting himself basically, and trying to yeah you know, smuggle himself using Serenity. There is just a really good moment here I do want to mention. What about Jane? Because, you know, we see you know, he wakes up and he's about to throw up and Jane already has like a little, what's it called? Oh, like a bedpan. Yeah, kind bedpan. Of he's got that ready and he just holds that straight out for Tracy to throw yeah, up in. because of Ariel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we were talking about this after watching it um, together. Look, we see Jane aware of this because he had to do the same thing in Ariel when Simon and River went under. Um, they had to be pretending to be dead as well. They wake up, they throw up and Jane said to see it. So this time he's prepared. 
we don't know if that's intentional, but it kind of feels like something that Joss Whedon would chuck in. Yeah, I mean, like, why else would Jane have known he was about to throw yeah. up? And uh, as we've mentioned, Tracy's perception of Zoe and Mal is that of them in the war, uh, which leads us to a scene where uh, Kaylee Bay and uh, Tracy are sitting on a bed, they're kind of explaining, you know, uh, Kaylee's saying, well, why did you come to the cap? And, and Zoe, and he says, oh, because they've always done right by me. Um, and he's talking about how different they are, and, and he ends up saying, like, oh, next you're going to say that Zoe smiles, you know, and, and that she's married, and, and, you know, all of this is true. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a, a nice moment just to see how different they are from what they used to be. Especially when he kind of, and this is, I think, a little bit later on, he kind of mentions to Mal, you're running with a preacher, which I find fascinating because we see in the Battle of Serenity that he's actually holding a cross and there is a little bit of religious aspect to him. We talked about this earlier. But I did find that interesting, he's kind of making that distinction that Mao's running around with someone super religious. Obviously, he loses his faith after the war, but you kind of get the impression that he was losing it through the war and probably the stuff he saw was the a result of he had. Yeah. yeah, and sort of that little kiss of the cross at the end is almost like him kissing God goodbye rather than kissing it for good faith. Um, yeah, so we get Tracy. He's kind of one of two main characters that gets brought into this episode. The other is Womack, who is an alliance officer, sort of trying to hunt them down for you know, transporting. He, he says it's because they're transporting illegal bodies. Um, yeah. In actuality, he's basically being a bounty hunter trying to bring Tracy back. And so they're hunting him down. And this is a fascinating little sub-story as well because obviously they're putting a lot of pressure on Serenity. They force it to land. They're looking to board to pretty much, you know, do what he has to do. Uh, in all of this, we do see Shepard Book show a little bit of knowledge and, you know, Alliance officers have areas that they patrol. And this Womack is apparently way out of his jurisdiction chasing this. So he's kind of... And if he weren't, he would have had he would have called for reinforcements by that yeah, point. Which but it's just, just him chasing it down. He's kind of like, well, this isn't right. And that's where the plan starts to come in to save Tracy. The only issue in trying to save Tracy is Tracy doesn't, doesn't know. No, or, and yeah, yeah, Tracy kind of goes into business for himself. He takes Kaylee Bay hostage. He's trying to run around and basically force Mal to keep flying, endanger the rest of his crew, but keep flying and stay away from this alliance officer. What I find so fascinating about this story is you, you, when you're first watching, you think, well, why wouldn't Mal just tell him this is the plan? Trust me, this is the plan. And Teddy just says, trust me, everything's going to be okay. And we see a similar thing with Simon in one of the earlier episodes. The Alliance are going to board and River and Simon are kind of like, well, we've got to go, we've got to go, we can't stay here. And Mal's like, trust me. The difference between Tracy and Simon is Simon trusts him implicitly as a member of the crew should. Tracy doesn't trust him and goes into business for himself. So for Mal, like, if you don't trust me implicitly, you're not a part of my crew. And that's where it all kind of falls apart. And watching it later, sort of rewatching and watching it with this kind of perception, it is kind of fascinating to see, yeah, what Mao sort of treasures and finds important in the crew. And this implicit trust really comes into play. In and this it does episode. raise a question: uh, Had that implicit trust been given, would we have seen Tracy as a member of this crew, possibly? Mm. Which we don't get to find out because that trust wasn't there. As we said, he kind of goes into business for himself, takes Kaylee Bay hostage. And we have a bit of a, a showdown on the ramps over the cargo bay with Zoe trying to sneak up. And everyone's trying to take out Tracy It's here. quite a tense moment. It is we've really seen they're not afraid to shoot Kaylee. They're not afraid to shoot anybody. Episode. I mean, up to this point, we've had the Shepherds been shot. We've had Mal's been shot. Zoe's been shot. Jane has been, been shot. shot. Jane has been slashed across the chest. Yeah. Um, good. Luckily for us... They don't harm Wash in any way, and they never will. Yeah, Wash never gets hurt during the course of Firefly. Which is good. No. Yeah. I just don't know if I could take it if he did. Those of you who have seen the movie know exactly how sad I'm about to get. 
But uh, we're not up to that. So let's hold back the tears and get back to this episode. Yeah, um, so Tracy gets shot. I think is it, it's Mal or Jane that ends up shooting him. Sort of blanking on this one. I feel like it was Jane. Yeah, because what, what's basically happening is Mal's trying to distract. Jane gets sort of close. And I can't remember specifically. One of them shoots him. I think it might actually have been Mal. Um, but either way, Tracy's bleeding out. This is some great research for our oh, podcast, yeah. mate. I, I know. Like, I'm just showing all of the research. But the important thing is Tracy dies. Yeah. Again. For the second time in this For realsies. Episode. Yeah, for realsies dead. Um, so he sort of, what, what is happening is when Womack boards the ship and Booker kind of, you know, schools him and sort of says, you shouldn't be here, you're not in this for the Alliance. Yeah, so he goes, he says, I'll oh, damage cargo anyway because Tracy's been shot. And so that comes back and that's when Tracy sort of delivers that line, which we hear in the, the message, <laughs> name of this, this episode, the message that he records where he's sort of saying, if you can't walk, you crawl, if you can't crawl, you find someone to carry you home. And it sort of comes across as the start of the story and then the end when he's actually passing away here for real. And yeah, and then they get to use that message uh, mm. for reals. Yeah, uh, so really they take, take him back him. home and they bury him. In the snow, um, mm. which is also something we kind of get a mention to that uh, the planet he came from was very cold um, and that he was doing this for his family. So we, we get another little, yeah, he's doing the wrong thing, he's doing it for the right reasons, he's trying to get his family off that frozen rock. Yeah, which, which in a lot of ways is kind of... Uh, an analogue to the entire Firefly story. Yeah, they're kind of doing the wrong things. They're crooks, they're thieves, they're breaking the law. But they're doing it for the right reasons in the context of the story. They want to be free. They want to be able to do what they want to do. Yeah. It's that independent spirit and heart. So it is a nice analogue between those two characters. Yeah, yeah. That whole like frontier space western, mm. uh, and it, it works. It's, it's why I love this kind of genre. Yeah, and at the end here we sort of get a bit of yeah, sombre music, which is quite an emotional piece. Now, composer Greg Edmondson wrote this final piece. When he wrote it, it was uh, aware that the story was being, the, the, the show was being cancelled. This is actually the last episode they filmed. And he's kind of said that he you know, composed this piece, yes, it's as a tribute to Tracy's passing away, but it's also a tribute to the story itself. Um, and the story of Firefly, you know, being cancelled, so it's kind of his, you know, ode to the end of Firefly, which is quite, quite a nice sort of piece. It's it one of two Firefly episodes, which was nominated for the Hugo Award, which if you know what Hugo is, you know, it's a fairly major sci-fi publication award system, so if you win this, it's quite an honour. And it was nominated for Best Dramatic Presentation in the short form. Now, it's not the only Firefly episode to achieve this. The next episode we're talking about, Heart of Gold, also gets nominated for this. It was quite a nice sort of tick in the box, sort of saying that, you know, these guys know what they're doing as far as writing sci-fi. Yeah, well, it's a nice sort of tick in the box, showing that they know how to write sci-fi. Unfortunately, Fox don't apparently care about this Hugo Award. They don't care if, you know, everybody's telling you this is a great series. Yeah. Uh, They'll delete it anyway. Yeah, thank you, Fox. Deletion. Uh, Wow, that's going to be an obscure reference for most people listening. Isn't it? Well, if they didn't get the glorious thing, then... Yeah, hats off if you get what we mean by delete. 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 My brother Nero. My brother Nero. Uh, (laughs) Episode 13, Heart of Gold. A companion-trained friend of Inara's who runs a brothel on a remote planet calls for help from Serenity when a local bigwig reveals his intentions to take the baby from a woman he impregnated. Drama ensues. This is my number four episode. Number four. Uh, yeah, my, my top five, uh, the top four are pretty set. The fifth one changes. Uh, There's a heap of episodes that kind of go through that fifth spot for me. Yeah. 
same as the last episode of the message this one won a hugo as well didn't it yeah uh, so th- this one as well this was the second one that was nominated for the hugo award in the uh, dramatic short form from 2004 uh you can see why it's sort of given that honor it is quite a well-written episode yeah, yeah i definitely feel so nice bit of drama and tension going out and it is really kind of showcasing this whole space western combination um because the story that happens in heart of gold is pretty much ripped from a lot of other westerns that you'll see before it's not the most original story you got a guy sort of terrorizing a small group of people who then go and seek help from an outside source who then have to protect them basically yeah actually you made a mention to this on uh, on monday in your one-up uh, article where yeah, you so actually I've... mentioned watching this episode uh, yeah so after... for those of you who have seen uh, the Magnificent Seven, which is currently out in cinemas, uh, just came out last week in Australia. And I did a review for it uh, in the One Up Culture articles that I do. And you can kind of see parallels to the story there because it's the same basic concept that I mentioned. It is kind of interesting to see the same concept sort of demonstrated across two different styles and two different, you know, you've got TV, you've got movie, you've got space western, you've got classic western. And even though, yeah, there's quite a bit of difference, it still follows those same beats almost point for point in just a shortened version. Um, yeah. By the way, go see Magnificent Seven. It's great. Go watch Firefly. It is also great. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is great. If you haven't watched it, what are you doing? Damn. Seriously, we say this every episode, but like once again, go out, watch Firefly. It's great. It's not that we don't want you to listen to us. It's just we want you to watch Firefly and then listen. To and us. listen to us as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so what is it about this episode you like so much? I think it is the Inara Mal dynamic uh, yeah. that has been built up through this whole thing i mean this is really the one where we uh yeah we, we get a lot of their dynamic and the feelings that those two have for one another and up to this point anara's kind of been downplaying her feelings to mel and this is the one where it kind of breaks the surface she's quite composed most of the time and we, mm. we don't see a lot of her deep emotions we see a lot of emotion out of her but not not things like this that are really important um, and it adds another little aspect to this when you add in that uh, she was dying. Yeah, as we sort of mentioned last week, you know, Marina Bacan revealed that you know, she'd been told that Nara was dying and if you know, this got more seasons, uh, we would have delved into that a bit further. Yeah, and, and it adds to this one, uh, the, the struggle that is having, that yeah, she wants this, but she's going to die, she yeah. hasn't told anyone. And this all kind of comes to head at the end of this episode, which I'm not going to say right now what the end of the episode is but that is a massive part of why i like this so much and uh we will get to that but yeah the final episode of this uh, sorry the final line of this episode is uh, quite powerful yeah uh, yeah most definitely but uh, we will get to that and we will for now go back as uh, as trent just said in the synopsis uh one of nara's companion friends from back in her old days rings with a bit of an issue and uh at the time that we get this news mal and nara are talking in nara's shuttle and Wash comes in and says, you know, we've, we've got a message and uh, someone's in need. And Mal kind of stands up saying, oh, well, somebody's in need. Guess we'd, you know, better go do it. And really playing up the fact that uh, he's you know, helping those in need and, and with Anara. And Wash says, it's not for you, Mal. It's actually for Anara. Yeah. <laughs> quite, quite a harsh one there. Uh, and it is Nandy uh, is the name of her companion friend who... Uh, although I say companion, she's not a companion. And this is where we have to draw a distinction in this episode. And this is where Anara draws a and distinction. This is where Anara draws the distinction, which is actually quite quite interesting. Uh, and it is that uh, Nandi is no longer part of the companion organisation. Yeah, the uh, guild. The guild. Uh, and so we find that they're, they're out on this 
kind of a mansion, old westerny mansion uh, on the middle of nowhere planet in the Outer Rim. And uh, yeah, this is where Inara kind of makes the distinction uh, where we, we kind of get this job to go and help these ladies uh, because one of them is pregnant. And yeah. uh, the kind of the overlord, the town, and he's saying, yeah, it's mine, I want it, I want my child. And they're kind of trying to protect themselves from him uh, and he's quite a rich man it, it is Rance Burgess Rance that's, I was yeah. going to say it, Vance, it's, a, it's a weird name yeah Rance Burgess uh, I, mean, I think Andy goes as far as to say that he's got the money to set this world up properly yeah. he enjoys sort of playing cowboy and owning everything and doing things his way so he lets everyone else suffer which straight away kind of gives you an idea to what kind of character this guy is. He wants everyone to suffer, he wants to have all the money for himself, and he wants to steal babies from you know, people. This is where we get our distinction, and uh, Mal's telling them about the the job. And I'm not quite sure who it is, but they said, oh, we're going to be helping a, a bunch of companions. And Inara says they're not companions, they're whores. And uh, we kind of get this interesting distinction, because Inara's been quite averse to being called a whore up mm. to this point. She specifies that yeah, they're unregistered with the guild, so they're freelancers so yeah. to speak that necessarily does make them a whore it is a whore house uh, which is great for Jane like he, he wasn't on board with well, this because yeah, they're the doing it pretty much without knowing what they're going to get paid um, and Mal's kind of saying to everyone look you don't have to do this job because of that um, but we would like you to and Jane's kind of like well why would we and da 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 and Mal pretty much just said they're whores I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Instantly changes Jane's mind uh, when he finds out they're horse. And you uh, kind of get the feeling he gets back his money and then some with the yeah. amount of time he spends in there with the well, ladies of leisure. Because when we get there, uh, we kind of they eventually arrive and we've got this kind of old-looking western. And like I've said before, we've got that combination of the new and the old, uh, and it's covered in tinfoil. Basically, it yeah. looks like a TV dinner, uh, and they say that's for uh, solar power. So, uh, yeah, we, we get a, our first little intro to that kind of uh, combination of space AG and, and Westerny, and we get another good one later on. The teams are riding in to, to attack. But uh, at this point, we see that Jane takes service in the wares, uh, and he is the only one because, I mean, let's think about it. There's Mal, who's all hung up on Inara. Yeah, uh, and he's focused on the job at hand. And focused on the job at hand. You've got Wash, who's married. Who's, yeah, who is married. Uh, You've got a preacher. We've got a preacher. Um, look, doesn't necessarily mean they won't. I mean, part of the sort of minor points in this story is that the previous preacher or shepherd that came through did take payment yeah. in that sort of way. Um, um, but, you know, shepherd book's not that way. Yeah, and, and we get a little bit little bit later on that uh, shepherd saying, not, not so much in this episode, it's a later episode, but uh, he says that the, some of the orders do allow for uh, shepherds to marry. And he has chosen a more stricter path. Yeah. So and that kind of gives us a bit of insight into, yeah, yeah he's not... Most orders don't allow prostitution. No, um, most. Yeah. Most don't. The um, fun ones do. But anyway. And the other person in this is, of course, Simon, the doctor who um, is kind of so distracted and you know, running around chasing his own towel and a certain Kelly Bay's towel that he's not really in the frame of mind to take advantage of the, the wares, as you yeah. put it. Um, as, as they put it, that's why I yeah, said it yeah. that way. Uh, yeah. and, and the other one that... You kind of skip over is Kaylee Bay herself because mm. you're thinking, oh, well, like these are all female, and they're not. There they are, have boy whores. They have too. boy whores as well. Uh, and so. She says it so innocently. She does. It's yeah. uh, kind of cute and kind of creepy. But we meet uh, Pedaline, who is the pregnant young lady uh, yes. from, from uh, Rance, and we find out that it is a 50 50 percent chance that the baby is actually his. Mm. Uh, and this is the point when Anara and Mal go into town and actually meet meet him uh, yeah because Mal likes to get an idea of who he's going up against so that you know he goes in to kind of see who he's dealing with and 
we get a good idea of what kind of person Rance is. You know? Yeah, well, I think uh, the gun uh, that he's carrying really shows quite a lot of his personality. It's mm. kind of a, a quite a high tech gun, uh, considering especially the low tech area that they're in, uh, as he's keeping quite poor. Mm. But it's uh, illegal. Uh, Mal actually makes a little reference to I didn't think it was legal for someone to own one of those privately that is uh, and, and we kind of see that the ranch doesn't really care about he the sort of says yeah legal matters can be uh, sort of underswept for moral values um, which is you know kind of interesting coming from someone of his character and manner uh, but it kind of shows where his perception is and also sort of Mal kind of says it's it's beautiful he's referring to his wife but Rance is too busy distracted by his own gun to sort of realise that and straight away he, yeah everyone kind of realises what they're dealing with to the point that when Mal goes back he sort of met the maker in a lot of ways and it's like let's get out of here um, not referring to just serenity but he's sort of willing to fly all of the members of the Heart of Gold out of there for their safety um, but he doesn't really think they should face Rance head on because as he sort of puts it, nothing worse than a man who thinks he's right with God. The way that's worded, you kind of realise, okay, they're in for a fight. And it's actually quite an interesting line in of itself. I quite like that it line. It is. And actually, you just uh, mentioned uh, the folks of the Heart of Gold. We, we should uh, just briefly mention that's the name of the, the prostitution, the whorehouse. Yeah. Uh, and the name of this episode, yeah. that's where this one comes from. The ladies say no. They're not going to leave. Uh, mm. Mainly Nandy, who is going to build this up from nothing. Uh and she mentions that the previous owner of the Heart of Gold kind of had most of the girls strung out on drops, which we're led to believe is just some kind of spacey drug. That thing, you know, she's worked very hard for this, and uh, so she's not going anywhere. So they're going to defend it, and so we, we sort of get a bit of a montage where they're all sort of preparing for James preparing in other ways, uh, while everyone else sort of sets up protections and traps. And, and it's, it's how Mal prepares that kind of uh, causes the central conflict that you were talking about at the start there. Yeah, uh, so... Nandy and Anara are quite good friends and uh, and they've got a bit of intuition uh, and at this time we have a little bit of flirting between Nandy and Mal where she gets her guns out and she's talking about those, her actual guns. Trent just started to laugh. Um, and Mal's quite, you know, interested in, these, in those uh, and then this eventually leads to them having sex. Yeah. Just to put that... Putting it out there. Quite, quite simply, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really the central idea of what happens there. And then the next morning, Anara kind of comes to see Nandy and she finds out. Um, yeah, she's and, leaving. And the, other, yeah, and the other interesting thing is how every, everyone's kind of getting ready for this. Uh, we've got Wash and Kaylee. Uh, they're kind of making their way towards the ship. Uh, we've got Book, who has mentioned that he's, he's followed in the path of a great carpenter and, and therefore helps with the reinforcements. And... We're kind of led to believe with the guns. And from what we've seen, we know that he's not averse to using guns. No. But uh, we don't we don't see him shooting anyone in this one, which is kind of interesting. We do see him hosing people off. Yeah. Mal, uh, at this point, makes a, a mention to shoot the man, not the horse, because yeah. a live horse is distraction, dead horses cover. Mm. That's another good, good uh, little point there. And speaking of the horses that these guys run in, uh, ride in on, we get our second little glimpse of that futuristic. So uh, as we've mentioned, the guns look like everyday guns from planet Earth right now, but they shoot usually some kind of laser or some kind of projectile weapon still. Uh, but in this one, we've got a bunch of guys riding in on horses and Rance in a hovercraft with a turret on the back, which is quite spacey and uh, really kind of changes the thing up. And that's Jane's first job. Uh, so there's a hurdle that pops up and a bunch of them get knocked over uh, at their first trap. And Jane takes out the, with a sniper rifle, takes out the, the 
The Gunner. The Gunner, thank you. Yeah, this this kind of chess game, uh, piece yeah. by piece, coming together. And it's together. very reminiscent from a lot of these sort of Western stories that take a similar story arc, where you know, the good guys are sort of preparing, so they've got their defences set up, the traps spring, they take out a few of these men, and then, of course, you know, a couple of these traps maybe backfire a bit. The the bad guys get a bit of a heads up, um, as we sort of find out that Rance does have a lady on the inside. Yeah, well, this is, this is another interesting part um, that... We, we actually see the bad guys' plan work mm. perfectly. This, yeah. With, without a hitch, uh, which is something that you would, you would kind of think there, there'd be something you know, that they would do that would kind of put him a bit off, and absolutely nothing. And, Rant, Rance has the baby in his hands. Yeah, much. yeah. It's so, born and he has the baby. Yeah, so he gets snuck in, mm. has the baby in his hands, and uh, yeah, straight after we find out this is Simon's first delivery. Um, and, and Rivers too. And Rivers too. Which is, out. And yeah, so pretty much exactly as this baby is born is mm. when Rance comes in, grabs it, and we have our little showdown uh, yeah. as Nandy uh, confronts him. Mm. Doesn't go well for Nandy. Doesn't. She gets shot. Yeah, yeah. Not just shot, dead shot. Dead, dead. Yeah. Um, which, which of course, you know, Anara and Mal are both quite strung up on. But Mal, you know, goes and chases after uh, Rance and brings him down, brings him to justice, so to speak. And the good guys win with a bit of a body count at the end of the day because, yeah, and part of the montage sort of showed that most of these girls and guys who are working at the whorehouse don't really know how to fire weapons and stuff. So you kind of get that, you know, training montage. But they do lose quite a few of them and they end up losing their leader in Nandy. The kind of big surprise that, that I found was uh, actually Petaline in this episode. Through this whole episode, she's just been this pregnant kind of victim uh, mm. this entire episode. And then the second she gets that baby out, she changes. Uh, and, and this is Rance getting brought back in on his knees and uh, Petaline comes out. She's got a gun. Introduces her Rance to her son, son to her, his father. Say howdy, daddy. And then shoots him straight yeah. away. Say bye to your daddy. Yeah, doesn't even, not even courtesy of saying goodbye to your daddy. Just yeah. shoots him. Powerful too. Mm-hmm. And uh, turns to the young lady that betrayed them and tells her that she needs to start walking too. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a nice little powerful moment at the end. You kind of feel like she's going to take over now that Nandy's sort of passed Yeah, on. yeah. Um, kind of gives you a little bit of hope that, you know, they're going to be all right. Mm. It brings us to Anara and Mal on the ship. And this is what I was saying earlier in my little introduction to this, uh, why I enjoy this so much. We finished this whole episode with a little chat between Mal and Anara, and Anara finishes it pretty much just saying, like, I, I can't do this anymore. There's something that I, I should have done a long time ago, Mal. And, and it's kind of built up that she's going to finally confess her feelings. And then she says, I'm leaving the shit. End of episode. And that was a very powerful way to finish this episode. And... Uh, and we do get uh, one more mention of that, but uh, that's that's it. You know, it's a very powerful way to go out that's on that. Shock. It was a shock to me when I first saw the episode. Yeah, definitely. I thought well, we're finally going to get it. You know, they're going to move to the next level of this sexual tension. No, no, no. no. She's she's leaving. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of Heart of Gold. Yeah, which gives us one more episode to cover. Episode fourteen: Objects in Space. Serenity encounters a ruthlessly professional bounty hunter, Jubal Early, who will stop at nothing to retrieve River. But River, feeling unwelcome on the ship, takes a novel approach to escaping from the long arm of the Alliance. And for the last time in this season, drama ensues. Wow. Yeah, last time. Uh, wow. So, this is a very River-centric episode. And uh, when you're watching it, I mean, it is the season finale. Uh, mm. And although we mentioned before it wasn't the last one recorded, uh, that was actually Message. Uh, it, it, does try and, it does feel like they're trying to wrap a lot of loose ends up. 
uh, and they leave a, f- a few open-ended questions as they kind of had to because Fox didn't give them a second season. Thank, Thank you, you Fox. Fox. But we see a few of the questions we had, uh, especially concerning River, kind of come to a close in this episode. I felt like it was rushed, uh, some of it, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed early more than I enjoyed this this episode. Yeah, though. I could. I, I actually, this is probably my. You mentioned that Heart of Gold was your fourth favorite episode behind our big three, so to speak. This is probably actually my fourth favorite, yeah, and one of the ones that jumps in my fifth spot. But yeah. I can't narrow that down. I, I do agree. Like the conclusion, because by the end of this, you kind of get the impression this is what Whedon said. He kind of wanted this story to this episode to kind of conclude the uh, mistrust around River. And by the end of it, there's kind of that little bit more you know, understanding and that they'd sort of be able to move forward from this in the future. Um, it is a little bit rushed given sort of what they've dealt with not that far gone. But I do think it does tell the story quite well. And I do love how River-centric this is because she is such an unusual character and we get a really good insight into the character of River. I mean, Especially was, in that opening scene. Yeah, look, the opening scene, she's sort of going around and she sees everyone else on the ship and they're sort of talking, they're all having fun, they're all in little niche groups. And at each time, she kind of hears perhaps what they're thinking. And it's quite revealing. It's quite, you know, in-depth. If you were in River's spot and you were hearing that and sort of connecting it with yourself, it would be quite difficult to deal with. And at the end, she's down in the cargo bay. She finds a stick, which she sort of picks up, and she's looking at it in awe. And in her mind, it's just a stick, and it's just, you know, an object in space, hence the name. And then we sort of see what's actually happening, and everyone's around her sort of telling her to put, put it down, put it down. Why is she being told to put down a stick? Because it's a gun. Yeah, it was really a gun. Uh, and and I mean, leading up to this point, and it, it raises a few questions as for not all of those things she heard were her mm. psychic abilities. And because of the nature of some of them, uh, it, it definitely leads itself to believe that that is the case. Uh, and the first time we see that kind of nice moment between Kaylee, Kaylee Bay and Simon, uh, where Simon's telling her a story of back in his days. And he's finally doing well with He's her. doing well with her, finally, uh, after messing it up so many times. And we see he kind of turns and says, you know, I would still be there if it wasn't for you. And at first, I thought that was just something that she was imagining because, you know, Simon would never say that. Mm. Uh, and, and it kind of brings out that, well, maybe Simon was. Maybe he was thinking, oh, look, I would be still in that role if it wasn't for River. And there's nothing wrong with him thinking that. I mean, obviously, like, he, he's happy he's helped his sister. But you can understand that he's still kind of be pining back for what he had beforehand. Yeah, and uh, and we see uh, Jane, we get a nice little reference to him betraying them mm. in on Ariel and just, yeah, he says, I, I got stupid, the money was too good. Yeah. Uh, and, and we get a little reference to Inara at the end of the last episode where she said, I'm leaving. And we get a conversation between Inara and Mal where they're just kind of saying, like, when are you going to tell them? You know, you need to tell them soon. And they're talking about her leaving, which is what really kind of cemented in my mind as those are the only two uh, characters who know about that. And, and I mean, it still plays in like these things, you know, it could be actually what they're thinking, but her mindset the way she's taking it in because yeah a lot of this episode is her not feeling like she belongs on the ship and of course by the end of it you know she's sort of welcomed as part of the team a bit more and that is that conclusion Whedon was talking about but you I find I really feel for her in this episode because you kind of can see why she's feeling so down and why she's just kind of a, a, a bit of a loss really yeah 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 we uh we get everyone's kind of having a bit of a meeting uh, and she hears she's overhears it and you feel really sorry for her because it's not her fault no, no. uh that's the thing and and we also get uh, mal's kind of guess that maybe she's a reader i uh, mm. mean that she was psychic and he asks simon and simon's like you know he doesn't want to say psychic as possible he's a doctor yeah. but he does say you know they've definitely changed the way she interprets and, and receives information 
and and Wash kind of says, "You're psychic." That sounds kind of sci- science fiction. And Zoe turns to him and says, "You live on a spaceship, honey." That's one of my favorite lines in the whole series. And the bit that I love the most is uh, Wash's response. He turns around, just like so, like that, that's normal everyday life. Everybody lives on a ship, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed that one. Like, oh, yeah, science fiction. It's also here that sort of the rest of the crew finds out that River's quite a crack shot as well, because up until this point, uh, when they were sort of raiding Niska's base in War Stories, uh, we see River sort of pull off the uh, three-shot line where she kills the three people trying to get onto Serenity. Callie's the only one who knows about this, and she sort of kept it quiet, and it's during this meeting that she kind of opens up and says, yeah, this is what actually happened, which again sort of builds that tension towards River, because for a while there, look, she's kind of dangerous. We've seen her slash Jane across the chest, but there's a difference between slashing someone with a knife randomly when they're not expecting it and pulling off an expert, you know, blind three-person shot. Yeah, well, that was the thing. We got a nice little... Uh Jane in the background as, as everyone's trying to kind of say well she's never really hurt anyone and he's sitting there like she slashed me across the chest everyone's mm. ignoring him uh, but like she, she's never used a gun or she's like never caused harm to anyone with a butcher's knife yeah. he's sitting there trying to get everyone's attention and no one's paying any attention yeah. to the fact that he got slashed across the chest and it's a good prelude to what happens in the movie where you know she takes a massive jump in ability basically she goes from someone who can defend herself as we sort of find out but you don't see a lot of it to just total martial arts arsenal basically yeah yeah this is a river centric episode but it's also another character centric who we haven't met before we, we meet Jabal early who is a bounty hunter mm. uh, which is kind of interesting when when asked if he's a bounty hunter he says i don't think it's that simple and simon says what are you and he says i'm a bounty hunter He's one of the weirdest cats. That's just kind the, of an in insight, yeah, into into his mind, and and he is my favourite part of this episode. For yeah, me, if you don't like Jabal, you're not going to like this episode because he is so dominant in what's going on. Like it's because of him that everything kind of happens. Yeah, and he gets so much focus in this episode. Yeah, and um, the way he speaks is quite creepy the way he carries himself yeah look Whedon's kind of mentioned that he was sort of based the concept of Jabal early there's a couple of sort of inspirations the first is one that most people will recognize uh, that's from Star Wars it's Boba Fett both him and kind of the ship that he's driving is very influenced by the infamous bounty hunter from the original trilogy and very minorly in the prequels um, the other person who's a little bit more out of left field who you may not have heard of is a sort of French philosopher slash author uh, Jean-Paul Sartre and this is sort of based specifically off his uh, novel Nausea um, I've not read it myself this is more secondhand information I've sort of picked up doing research for this series but a lot of sort of his uh, existentialism thoughts and processes uh, is sort of not necessarily directly ripped from this, but you can definitely see the inspiration. Yeah, we do get uh, a running theme of that uh, philosophical view yeah. of life. Uh, he asks quite a lot, does that seem fair? Um, and, does that and seem right to you? Does that seem right? He keeps asking these kind of questions, mm. and, and he's always existentially looking at yeah. everything. And it's fun kind of seeing the rest of the crew trying to work him out. Um, because he is so unlike anything they've really come across. Really, River's the closest person to him as far as thought processes and how they sort of interact. So you sort of see Simon trying to figure him out because they sort of spend a lot of time together. Jabal's trying to find River. Simon is the brother, so he kind of carries him around to try and help find her. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've got everyone just kind of hanging out in space and Jabal sneaks up on them and actually sneaks onto the ship without anyone noticing mm. it's quite impressive he waits till everyone kind of goes to bed the first person that sees him is Mal and it's a very odd little moment uh, and they continue to do this through this through this episode every time you think something's going to happen 
they do it completely differently. Yeah. So he kind of sneaks in after Mal goes down into his cabin. Then we just see Mal walking down the down the hall. Mal came back out to you know brush his teeth or something. I don't know. But uh, and they're just kind of standing there for a second, looking at each other, and then this fight kind of breaks out, and uh, uh, early locks everyone in their cabins mm. except for Kaylee. We then see that Kaylee's in the engine room, and once again we start to think, all oh, right, so he doesn't know that Kaylee's free. Yeah, he does. He then turns up right behind Kaylee, and we get what I believe to be the most chilling part of this episode. Even the season, really. Yeah, of the season. He threatens to rape Kaylee. And not just threatens to rape her. Like, he's talking and just casually almost drops it in mid-sentence. Blah, 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 blah. Have, Have you ever been, been raped? raped? How do you respond to something like that in that kind of circumstance? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and he says, you know, like, your body is just a body to me. It doesn't matter to him. And we kind of see he's kind of a psychopath in, in that sense that he doesn't empathise with anyone else. Yeah. And that is something we see throughout this whole episode. And, yeah, he just thinks differently. That's crossing the line in a lot of ways. Like, you're kind of used to this kind of stuff. If you watch sci-fi, you're used to kind of the bounty hunter, the ruthless killer, kind of the merciless person. But that particular line, the way it's delivered and the context of it, not only you get a bit of insight into Jabal, but it kind of really sets the scene of what we're dealing with. And, yeah, for me, it's a line-crossing moment. You can't really redeem him as a character. Yeah, and when we so get... flippant about it. Yeah, Or definitely. even willing to engage in the thought process. Yeah, he... Especially uh... Cowley Bay. He does a similar thing with Simon as well, where he just turns to him randomly and says, have you ever been shot? This is another one of our moments where he asks, does that seem fair? When he says that uh, a psychologist has to get psychoanalyzed before they are qualified. A surgeon doesn't have to get cut on. Uh, and that's why he's kind of asking if Simon's ever been shot before. And he says, does that seem fair to you? Or we've got another one of these questions. As someone who's not a surgeon, I actually love this line. Not that I think surgeons should be cut on, but it is such a great kind of like, Right back at your line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. And and once again, the have you ever been shot comes out of absolutely nowhere. It's just yeah. flippant. It yeah. just drops in. I, I actually envy the, the line delivery in these areas. It's just delivered so well. It's chilling, it's effective. And yeah, full credit. I don't actually have the name of Jabal Early's actor on me, um, but he does a fantastic job with this character. He does. Uh, it's quite, quite an interesting thing. Through every one of these episodes, we've had characters that kind of do nothing. I'm just going to mention this one like, like early here. Jane literally does nothing. Through, yeah. through this episode he gets locked in his quarters but he never wakes up he just he wakes up for a second looks over checks that all his guns are on his wall and then goes back to sleep and that's all we get of Jane through this whole mm. altercation until early is off of the ship yeah. uh, and as for everyone else I mean Book gets attacked he gets kind of kicked out of absolutely nowhere in the face and we get a statement a little bit later on as uh, uh, Simon and Early come across uh, Book. Simon runs over and says, you, you've beaten up a, a shepherd, you know, you, you've kicked yeah. a shepherd in the face. And Early just looks at Book and says, that's not a shepherd. Yeah. Which you don't really think anything of them. And he's been quite creepy this whole time up to this point. But uh, when you have read The Shepherd's Tale, when you do know that Shepherd Book is not so much just a shepherd. I mean, he did take on that moniker and he did follow the shepherding uh, shepherd's rules but he isn't a shepherd and it was kind of interesting that early just knew that yeah well it's, it's also interesting the way he disposed of because he kind of deals with everyone slightly differently mm. and there's a lot of similarities to how he dispatches of she the shepherd book the same way he dispatches with now which is quickly and brutally and it seems like he has some respect in that sense yeah and they're both sort of you know you get the implication that they're both ex-soldiers. And this is actually confirmed by Whedon in the director's commentary of this episode, where he kind of says, look, that was the intention here. It's kind of hinting more at Shepard's past. So it's not just kind of like a throwaway line. There's quite a bit of focus on this, which again would have been looked into in more depth. But we didn't uh, get that second season. Thank, thank you, Fox. 
It's, uh, a, it's all sort of building up here, up to, I guess, the final confrontation of River and Jubal. Um, and there's a bit of philosophical discussion here because at this stage, River's taken serenity, basically. She is the ship. She's a part of the yeah. ship. She said, I heard you guys talking and, and I just melted away. Uh, you yeah. didn't know I could just melt away, but I've now melted. I'm part of the ship. And, and look, full credit to Whedon and everyone involved in the writing here. Look, Firefly is a sci-fi series. It doesn't delve into magic really at all. But the way this is presented, and you're watching and you know, River's suggesting that maybe there's a real supernatural aspect to how she's working. You kind of figure something's up and it's not as clear as what she's saying. Kind of believe it. You kind of get invested into oh, what I've she's got- I got sold. I sold on this every first time I saw it, definitely. Yeah, and it's full credit to the show for being able to pull this off. Yeah, this isn't Buffy where you kind of could understand that because it's been established in this universe. Yeah, that'd take someone like Joss Whedon to... Oh, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. So, yeah, look, full credit to this. And, yeah, we get to really see River at her best, I guess, intellectually. Because while she's talking to Jabal and kind of breaking him down little piece by piece by piece, she's also talking to the rest of the crew and kind of getting Kaylee to trust her and to, you know, sort of get herself out of this situation, talking to Mal and kind of setting really a plan in motion that nearly goes without a hitch. Yeah, and, and during the time she really does kind of a, a matrixy thing where she's being the Morpheus character, like run now, and the, you know, mm. Mal gets up and, and runs off. And she's, yeah, instructing everyone on what to do during this plan. And it's all it's all her. Everyone knows except for Simon, who's uh, with Jabal oh, at the yeah. time. So obviously he can't be informed. Yeah, and um, really, like during this time, Simon's been trying to get himself free, which is kind of an open invitation from early, saying, you want me to be going around with you because you might get an opportunity to strike. And we see Simon nearly go for it, and Jabal just kind of pulls the gun out early and says, now's not the time. Well, he tries to take advantage of this potential opportunity, and it doesn't really work. River gives herself up. So she, she sells early, hey, these guys don't want me on the ship, I will go with you. Mm. Yeah, can't come back yeah, on, now. On your ship, just come join Yeah, me. we eventually find out that that's the big secret, yeah. that she's not melted into the ship, which, uh, as we were saying, was quite quite believable. And yeah. then you find out she's on the other ship, you're like, even more believable. Yeah. And so, yeah, as as early starts to leave, uh, Simon attacks him, which takes a lot of courage when you consider this mm. guy is uh, very highly trained. And, and we've seen him at work. We know how good he is. And, yeah, he shoots Simon. Yeah. Straight to bang. Shoots him in the leg. And Simon goes down. He then follows early out on that leg that's got a bullet through it which we see later on as quite a serious mm. wound yeah. and attacks him again uh, which takes quite a lot of strength uh, yeah. oddly enough this nearly ruins River's plan uh, which was to get early to go outside uh, and as he goes outside Mal kind of pops up behind yeah. him and uses the advantage of zero gravity to send him flying off into space yeah. uh, which kind of brings us another thing that at this point early becomes an object in space uh, so we also get that from the name of the, the yeah. title uh, and then River comes back down and uh, asks permission to come aboard from Mal and uh, Mal points out that Simon nearly ruined her plan mm. and we get a nice little switch Rooney on this one uh, where she says yeah he's so hard to, to look after yeah, he it's takes a, so much work I, I love this moment I, it really sort of it symbolises so much of this story and River herself and because it's one of the final moments in the season and series I think that it's just perfect in a lot of ways that yeah. sort of finishing and yeah her sort of asking permission I think kind of signifies her becoming a proper member of the team and that kind of trust that Whedon was talking about kind of gets established in that moment along with everything she's done to sort of pull off this plan much how Simon when he showed what he could do in Ariel 
kind of got accepted more as a part of the team and we see that confirmation with now i think this is river's moment to get accepted onto the team as well yeah yeah um but that's pretty much it do you have anything more you wanted to say on this episode uh no no i've covered everything cool well that is literally all 14 episodes of firefly we've we've gone through them all Um, we've mostly kept to time somewhat uh, so as was mentioned previously, next week will be the last episode of our Firefly Spectacular. We're going to cover the movie, and if we have time, we're going to kind of recap the series as a whole and sort of give our final thoughts. Who knows how long we'll talk about for the movie. But yeah, to finish off, um, keep up to date with everything One Up Culture by following us on Twitter at One Up Culture. Uh, be sure to check our WordPress for the articles that I post every Monday, as well as links to the podcast every Thursday as well. Uh, I've been Trent. I've been Jareth. And that's game over.